If you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Romans chapter 7 this morning. Our text will be found beginning in verse 7 down through verse 13. Romans chapter 7, 7 through 13. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning. We welcome especially those that are joining us online. It is neat to see every single week I see new faces of people that I've not seen for quite some time. And they are working their way back, understanding the importance of the gathered body to, to corporately worship together. So we welcome you, if it's been some time since you have been with us. Thank you, Craig, and the rest of the team for leading us in worship this morning. I want to thank Craig. He uh, was praying uh, backstage before the service, and he will often pray for me, and I'm grateful for that. I need it. Pray for wisdom. And, and he, he prayed specifically this morning. He said, I, I pray that, that Pastor Tim would have wisdom and joy. And thank you for that. A lot of time it's wisdom and grace, or wisdom and, and, and I just think that's so important. Not just for me, but for all of us, as we have an opportunity this morning to gather together, open up the Word of God, and in this very surreal moment that God has given to us, He's gifted to us, to hear from Him this morning. And so I seek to do that, not only displaying the wisdom that the Lord offers from above, but His joy as well. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? before we dive into our text this morning. <clears throat> Father, we are so, so grateful, thankful for the day you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, for this time of the year and the beautiful uh, weather that we have enjoyed. We just look forward, not, not just to spring, but I think, Lord, of a far more important event as we prepare to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for Easter season. And I pray, Lord, that as we prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate, that we would understand the hope that exists because the tomb is empty. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us this morning, that you do bring joy, that you offer us grace when we don't deserve it, and mercy, that you love us unconditionally. We thank you, Lord, for your hand of blessing. I think especially this past week on hearing good reports from, from Jay and Linnell. We thank you, Lord, for strengthening and touching. We thank you for the amazing blessings of medicine. We just pray, Lord, for continued healing if it's your will. Help us, Lord, to see one another around us, to minister, to care. To show love the way that you have done that for us. Now with your word opened up before us. I pray Lord that you would speak. That you would be heard. That you would be the focus. I plead for clarity of thought and mind and speech. May nothing be said that would ever distract. Father may every word be for your glory and your glory alone. 
Father, I pray right now that you would tune our hearts to you, forgetting the worries of the past week or the frustrations or the fears of the week to come, that this moment we would know that we together have heard from you. And oh, how we need, how I need a word from you. Bless us now, we ask this, the amazing and wonderful, matchless, majestic name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I, I keep a record. Um, it's, it's Romans number 19. I don't know if you get that or not. Romans number 19. 19 passages that we have examined so far in this book. So hopefully, hopefully you're kind of beginning to put the fragmented pieces together. Romans equals, Lord willing, a clear view of the doctrine of salvation. So what we've been learning. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, one is declared righteous. That means what? They have been justified. So Paul recently has been dealing with the fact that sanctification now follows our justification. So remember this. If justification imputes the righteousness of God to man, sanctification imparts the righteousness of God through man. We've been learning what? By yielding. Remember the yield sign? Slow down, let God have his way. Yield to the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. And what happens, we are actually being set apart. Made holy. We're being sanctified through God who literally is at work. He's churning and changing us from within. Remember last week we learned that what? We've died to the law through the body of Christ. Now we are released from the law so that we serve. Remember that in the new way of the Spirit. So we serve. The word what? Serve. Delulo. Can't sound a little bit familiar a couple weeks before? It was what? We are servants or we are slaves. We're doulos. And so we looked at the fact that last week, what? A doulos, delulos. That's what we do. Servants serve. So now our text today. The, the press upon us is this. The push upon us is this. How do we serve? That's really what this is about. How do we serve? Now, if you remember, we've learned a lot about this first century church in Rome. Within the church, there's a group of Jewish believers who are very familiar with the Old Testament law, and they're like, oh, we have an idea. This is how you are supposed to serve. So in a sense, what they're saying is, this is how you do it. You have to adhere, you have to obey the law. Therefore, the Apostle Paul, brilliance, brilliance, he is a step, of he a step ahead. He sees a great opportunity to teach the place and the value of the law while still reminding them that what? We are not under the law for the justification of our sins. We're not under the law. You can't obey the law to be justified. But what? There's still value to it. There's still something that's good here. We briefly touched on it last week, and we'll actually elaborate more on it this week, that there's blessings from this moral law that is given that, one, teach us how to live, and, and two, what does it do? It points us to the gospel. 
The words will be in front of you on the screen. If you got your little phone, use your phone. If you got your Bible, give attention to the reading of the Word of God. Our text, Romans chapter 7. I'll pick it up in verse 7. What then? Shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had said, you shall not covet. Had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing in opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So, the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin. And through the commandments might become sinful beyond measure. I'm not the only one who reads that text and like, mm, I'm not exactly sure what they're talking about. Co couple like, hmm, how's he going to make sense of this one this morning? Paul begins by asking this question. Is the law sin? If we were in grade school, we would say, is the law B-A-D? He very quickly clarifies with an answer to this question. By no means, by no means, absolutely not. He's actually saying that we need to keep before our eyes a clear distinction between the righteousness of the law and the sinfulness of our response to it. The law can't save. We know that. But let me, let me remind you, the law is not the culprit here. Okay? Don't blame the law. It's never the speed limit's fault that you get the speeding ticket. Okay, so don't ever blame the law. It's our own fallen corruption. That which is deep within us. That's the problem. Therefore, number one, three points this morning. The first one is this. The law is a mirror. It reflects the sinfulness of sin. We'll see three things that the law is this morning. The first one, it's a mirror. Paul actually says, if it had not had been for the law, I would not have known sin. So there's a lot of different, if you've studied um, ancient Hebrew history at all, people of Israel, there's a lot of different terms for this law. The law of Moses probably heard it referred to as that or the Torah 
In Hebrew, it's the mitzvah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. They include approximately 613 rules and laws and regulations and statutes and commandments that the people of God, that was what the nation Israel, they had to follow if they were what? To be set apart, to be made holy. They included dietary laws, which you could eat, which you could not eat. Which you could touch, which you could not touch. Dates and observations of feasts and festivals, Sabbath regulations, sacrificial systems, personal cleanliness, personal study, laws on personal responsibility. It was exhausting. Now, now we know that we are not under, today we're not under the obligation to live according to those same constraints, 613 laws. Because we know that Christ has what? He has fulfilled the law. Galatians chapter 5. Christ has set us free. Far more importantly in the very next chapter. And I love this. I can't wait to Romans chapter 8. It says what? We are set free in Christ from the law of sin and death. So what I want to do this morning. You hear me use this term law. For the sake of clarity this morning. When I speak of its value, I speak of its benefit, I want you to think of the summation of the law. I can't list 613 and we're free from that through Christ, but I want you to think of a summary statement. The most basic, what we would call moral decalogue of all time. What do we have them? I have them in my, on, my, on my wall in my office. They are the Ten Commandments. It doesn't mean that every other part is null and void. It doesn't mean that there's no value to any of the other parts of the law. The law says what? Teach your children to obey. That's a good thing. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The law says remember this. The law says don't forget this. There's great stuff here. So we can't throw it out to say I'm free. Wait a minute. You're still what? You're still doulos. You're still a servant to righteousness. You're still a slave to God. So, so the press here again is what's the balance? How do we do this? How do we do this right? I go back. I remember this. I remember being taught this. If you aim at nothing, you hit it every single time. We've all heard that if you aim at nothing, you hit it. Every single time. And we know it says you're to be holy as I am holy. 1 Peter chapter 1. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5, Be perfect, why? As your Father is perfect. We have to know what we're aiming for. This is in a sense what? It's, it's, it's painting the target on the side of the barn. So we know what to hit here. It's exactly what Paul is saying when he says, if it had not been for the law. You could actually read that and say, wait a minute, Paul's commending this thing. He's saying there's actually great benefits. There's great blessing to all of this stuff. How many times have you made this statement before? If it had not been for... Fill in the blank. If it not had been for that seatbelt, I'd be dead. If it had not been for that airbag, if it had not been for that Snickers bar at 2.55 on Tuesday afternoon, I'd probably be dead right now. 
So they're, the, they're kind of what we could say, they're the little things in life. We could do the, exactly the same thing if it had not been for, for the big things in life. If it has not been for the Word of God. If it had not been for the Holy Spirit. If it would not have been for my, my father's influence in my life, or my mother, or my wife. My friend, my boss, my coach, my teacher. If it would not have been for them, I would have never learned. If it would not have been for them, what? I might be in jail today. I'd still be lost. I would have failed. Now, to illustrate this, he takes one of the commandments. What I find is fascinating is that I I think nothing happens by accident. I think he does it intentionally. He takes, if you were to look at the Ten Commandments, he takes number ten. The last one. And we would oftentimes say, this particular commandment, this is not up there with the biggies, okay? Don't, don't murder. You murder, you go to jail. You steal, you go to jail. You don't go to jail if you covet. In a sense, it's, it's not up there with the biggies. And he takes this last final commandment as an example of how much blessing... Just this one commandment has been in his life. And there's something of tremendous value here. Paul says, if it not had been for the law, I would not know what sin is. Specifically, he continues on, if it not been for the law, I would not know what it was to covet. Now he's what? He's very quickly saying, although I'm totally Free from the law. We know that. Romans chapter 3 verse 28. We hold that no one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But he's also saying what? He's saying the same thing that you and I need to say every single day. I cannot live however I want. You understand that? It's a really significant part here. Paul is saying what? If it had not been for this... cannot live however I want. I'm, I'm responsible. I'm still responsible not to covet. Even number 10 on the list, which means I, I'm responsible not to be jealous of someone else. Not to be envious, not to desire, not to have a passion for, or what we would say if you lived out west, have a hankering for what? Someone else's stuff. This includes what? You go back to, and we actually learned this this past spring, almost a year ago. Back to the base of Sinai. Remember when uh, Moses went atop and and God descended in a cloud and smoke and and things rocked and shook and thundering uh, and the law was given and it says very specifically when it comes to this 10th commandment, you shall not covet and then he lists things specifically. Don't cover your neighbor's house. Don't cover your neighbor's wife. Or, or, or we could say husband. Don't, don't covet your neighbor's ox or, or donkey. And then there's this interesting statement, or anything that is your neighbor's. And we've, we've all stated this before. We've all laughed at the same joke. <laughs> I've never coveted my neighbor's donkey before. We get it, okay? I've used that too many times. True. Never coveted our neighbor's donkey. But I saw a beautiful 
black Denali yesterday from my neighbor. And my, man, it's, it's kind of easy. Just look at, whoa! fact that everyone has a nicer lawn than your lawn like it's easy to still look at i don't covet my neighbor's donkey but you can very easily covet your neighbor's apparent success in life or ease of life you can covet your your neighbor's promotions or or swimming pool or the gifts they have it's very easy for us to do that in the same way the author is saying, I'm actually, I'm actually glad, I'm actually thankful. I know where the lines are, where the boundaries are. Paul is saying, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm thankful that I know where the target is. If not, I would be in a huge, huge mess. I'm thankful for the law, for what the mirror of the law shows my own faults. Can I be gut honest? We need the mirror of the law to remind every one of us of our faults. Or we would be what? We'd be totally, totally, totally missing any idea of what holiness is. And we are called to be holy as he is holy. Our son... Seth is part of a very, very small group. Count them on probably one hand. A small group of, of coaches that are seeking to bring the game of baseball into a place and a culture that they know nothing about. They have not grown up with it. And he was telling me about one of his first practices. He said, Dad, this is, this is going to be a little bit harder than I thought. Like, they know nothing he said after you're like this is the ball this is the bat this is how you stand he goes even after all of that when they finally hit the ball they ran directly to the pitcher's mound he's like this is really really hard so so what you got to back up in a sense you've got to teach kind of the basic rules of the game it's basically what Paul is doing right here. He's teaching the value. He's teaching the importance of the law. Think about this. If there's no knowledge, there's certainly no success. If there's no knowledge, there's no victory. So number one, the law is a mirror. As hard as it is, ugh, I don't like what I saw in the mirror this morning. As hard as it is, Praise God for that. It gets worse. The law is a hammer, number two. It ruins the sinner. The law is a hammer. But sin, listen to this very carefully. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Rather than the commandment turning us from the sin of coveting, when we are actually told, you shall not covet, think about what actually happens. It goes something like this. Hmm, you know, I've never really considered my neighbor's donkey before. 
But you know, now that I look at it, that's actually a pretty nice donkey. He's got four legs. He's got two just big, soft ears. He's got those, what, adorable, sad-looking eyes. Never thought about how cool owning a donkey must be. But that's pretty cool. I would what? I would love to have a donkey. Like my neighbor's donkey. Which goes back to the premise of what? Being told no makes us what? Makes us want. That's, that's the premise. By, by simply being don't go there, that's where we want to go. Don't look at that. That's where we want to look. Do, okay, okay, work with me. A little exercise, okay? Lost an hour of sleep, so we've got to work a little bit harder this morning. Don't think about Oreos, Oreo cookies. Don't, don't think about Oreo cookies that are dipped in milk. Don't think about that. Don't think about double-stuffed Oreos that are dipped in, like, ice-cold Milk, don't think about that. Don't think about pulling the Oreo apart and double stacking a double stuffed Oreo and dipping it in like ice cold, farm fresh, frothy milk. Don't, don't think about that. What are you all thinking about? Like, when's he going to be done? I got some Oreos waiting. You, you understand what it means when it says here that sin, seizing, seizing, grabbing an opportunity, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Another translation reads this, sin produced what? Every manner of evil desire. Every single, I didn't even know I could pause on that. I, I didn't even know that existed within time. Sin, what? Seizing an opportunity. We have all grown up with um, many in age-old adage. So I don't, I don't know, I can't, I can't find the author. So I'm actually going to give credit to the one that I've probably heard it more than anyone else. So my mother, Ruth Joan Boger, is quoted as saying is this, give sin an inch and it'll take a mile. Now, I don't know if mama was the one who actually originated that, but I heard it from her. Give, give it a little bit, just crack the door open a little tiny bit, give it an inch and it'll run. I remember when we were young and dating for all of us in our family and, and it was that we're at that age, you know, and hey mom, can I have the car? Dad, can I have the car? I'll be back a couple hours. Another age-old adage. I give credit. Ruth Joan Boger says, what well, I trust you, but I don't trust biology. And that's true. At, at some level, what? We're going to get ourselves, we'll find a way to get ourselves in trouble. R.C. Sproul said it like this, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. 
So what happens as a hammer crushes, that's what a hammer does. As a hammer crushes, sin destroys, destroys everything. We've all read, we've all seen, we've witnessed horrible testimonies. Successful couple, successful man, woman, absolutely crushed and destroyed through the devastation because they allowed what? They gave sin an inch and it took a mile. It's actually reported, actually report it. And record it in history from the archives of both the Imperial Navy of Japan and the U.S. military, the Admiral Yamamoto of the Japanese Imperial Navy was actually quoted as saying, after the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, this was in the movie Tora, 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 for the old people that are here in 1970, or else for the younger ones, it was also, the same quote was in Pearl Harbor, 2001. It's quoted as saying what Admiral Yamamoto said, I am afraid that all we have accomplished here was to awaken a sleeping giant and fill him with terrible resolve. Remember that? I'm afraid the only thing that we've accomplished here is that we ticked off a monster. We, we step back from that proud of our history. We're like, that's right! You don't mess with America! You don't mess with the greatest generation! You don't mess with my grandpa! Right? So there's a sense of what it wells up with inside of us. That is exactly, that is exactly what Paul is saying. He's talking about here for sin. For the most part, what? Sin was sleeping until what? The law came around and awoke the sleeping giant and filled us with a terrible horrible resolve for wickedness but when the commandment came sin came alive and i died not only does sin destroy but what what does as a hammer crushes sin also deceives and we see that in our text here. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me. This isn't what I thought was going to happen. Sin deceived me. And through it, it killed me. I died. And this thing lied to me. And it killed me. Well, think about it for a moment. Satan is what? Satan is the great deceiver. He is the slanderer. He is the father of of lies the enemy will never whisper and and he'll never tell you that if you if you do this like if you do this you're going to hurt if you do this you're going to suffer if you touch this you're probably going to die no 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 he doesn't do that he deceives us and he paints it that sin is attractive that sin is fun it, it feels good it's pleasurable thus Thus, the value and the benefit, the blessing of the parameters of the law, even if it's hard to hear and even harder to live by. Praise God. Praise God for those Ten Commandments that what? Know how we teach us how we are supposed 
to live. The law is a mirror. We don't like what we see. The law is a hammer. Crushes. But, but, Matthew Henry would say it like this. The same sun that makes the dunghill more putrefying in smell makes the garden of flowers more fragrant. The same sun makes that pile stink. Makes this beautiful. Thirdly and finally, the law is a gift. The law is a gift to us. It points toward our Savior. I just love the list here. It's a short list. So the law is holy. It's actually repeated twice. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. Ever um, work on a project and you're like working on it and you say, you, you step back, you're finished, you're like, well, it's, you know, it's, it's not the best, but it'll do. Don't ever look behind someone's refrigerator, okay? Just like, just don't do it. It's not, it's not the best, but it'll do. Quite some time ago, um, Craig was helping me work Re relaying, putting down a new kitchen floor, which basically means I was holding the tools for Craig. And, and, and he, amazing, he's just like, he's amazing. Like, just get close to him. And, and what I, the floor was all done, and then, and then there was a little tiny, um, like the ramp, the little entry area, um, and, and the little part of the kitchen floor, little landing it's like four feet by four feet and he had to go and he's like tim you got it totally confident you got it i'm like of course i got it and he left and i'm sweating and and so i'm like, i can do this and I, and I did this little land and i measured and then i remeasured and i cut and i recut and i glued and i re-glued and i and, and if and i finished it and i was so proud little little stair step trim thing and I was like wow this is how it feels to be Greg <laughs> Wendy came home and I'm like <laughs> what do you think honey she's like oh honey you are amazing thank you she goes it's really interesting that the the floor in the kitchen all goes this way but the floor in the landing actually goes this way and I was like what I didn't even like what you, you, what do you think? It's good enough. <laughs> do we step back and we're like, that's it. It's good enough for me. You know, when God does something, he does it right. And he does it right the first time. God will never step back, okay? He, he knit you and he formed you together. You, you, all your strengths and weaknesses and quirkiness and weirdness, Okay, God didn't step back and say, <laughs> well, it'll do. No. God made you exactly to be you. When he was constructing what? The, 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 the directions for us on how to maneuver our way through life. When he formed and fashioned for us the law. 
He did it well. Paul, Paul is actually affirming in verse 12 the holiness of the law and the goodness of God's command. When he instituted, he knew very well that it was going to be what? For a time when the promises were directed to a specific family, a specific nation, and eventually expand out to the entire church from every tribe and tongue and nation, so that now as we live under a covenant of grace, we're no longer bound by the restrictions of the law, and we enjoy the blessings and freedoms of forgiveness, but what does that do? It points us to what we have to hold on to today more than ever before. It points us directly to our Savior. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. Listen very carefully. Galatians chapter 3. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made. But it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had not been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What does the law point to? What is the gift that has been given here? Points directly toward our Savior. Matthew Henry makes a very profound statement when he says this. Laws are as the lawmakers are. Laws are as the lawmakers are. Perfect, perfect God gives perfect law. We live in a place, I actually checked this. State of Pennsylvania, the law dictates that you can catch a fish with your mouth, but no other body parts. Laws are as the lawmakers. Brilliant! Who came up with that idea? It's like an actual, when it comes to the great lawgiver, when it comes to, you can't help but see the alignment of blessing that comes. The law is holy. The word is hagios. It means consecrated, set apart. It's reflecting sin. That's ours. But it's revealing holiness. That's his. Understand what the law does? Not only is it holy, it's, it's righteous. It's dikaios. It's just. It's upright. It's good. Agathos. Moral qualities. One who does that which is good. Thus, if what? Henry's correct. Matthew Henry's correct. If laws are as the lawmakers are, the giver of all the law... God himself is holy, is righteous, is good, is a perfect description of the one, the only one, the incarnate Son of God, who, as Galatians chapter 3 says, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's Jesus. That's 
Jesus, Jesus suffered so you and I didn't have to. And the reason he suffered is because he was the only one, the only one who ever completely and perfectly fulfilled the law. Scripture teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we step back from this text, and I understand there's a lot, and it's, it's clunky, and it's wordiness, and, and it's clunky, and it's delivery of explanation. But when it comes to law, very quickly, don't, don't be angry and frustrated, okay? Man, I just can't, it's so binding. When it comes to law, don't be angry and frustrated. Number two, be grateful for this gift of grace that has been given. When it comes to law, thirdly and finally, see Jesus. See Jesus who fulfilled what we could not fulfill. Today, there's many people that are sitting here that are listening that are bound. Not only what being destroyed, but they're being deceived. What I would encourage you to do, we're going to spend some time in prayer as we close together as a body, is just spend time, Lord, reveal to me those areas that I've, I've given sin an inch and it's just taken a mile. Help me to not only confess that, but to see the one who forgives me from that sin. Remember this, the more we see Jesus, the more we strive to be like Jesus. The more we see Jesus, the more we strive to be like Jesus. Bill's going to come up and he's going to lead us in just a closing time of prayer as family. And I would pray that we would be very, very intentional with these few moments. Quieting our hearts. Allowing the Holy Spirit to speak. To remind us, to reveal to us those many areas that we need to confess that we need to trust. And then we'll have our closing time of song. Bill. As uh, the scribe and priest Ezra gave an account in 2 Chronicles 7 of when the Lord came to Solomon in the night. And the Lord said, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And that's what we do now. We, we enter into prayer together corporately, as we are given an example in Scripture. And there's many times throughout Scripture where we see the people of God came together to pray, to worship, and to bow before him. So that's what we do now as brothers and sisters in Christ as his children. So let's bow our heads and pray together. Let's pray as we were instructed uh, this morning, the law is a mirror. It reflects the sinfulness of sin. So pray now that God, through his Holy Spirit, would reveal our sin to us. Pray that God would reveal sin in our heart that we may have grown used to. Sometimes our hearts have grown callous to the sinfulness of sin. 
and we're so used to it that it doesn't bother us anymore. So let's spend a moment asking God to reveal those sins to us. And let's also pray, as we were instructed, the law is a gift, points us toward our Savior. So let's pray prayers of thanksgiving for the Savior that saved us from death and eternal separation from God and brought us into fellowship with our Creator. We should have hearts that are continuously grateful for the work of Christ on the cross. So let's ask God to give us grateful hearts. Pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our hearts cause us to see Jesus, who remained sinless even though he was tempted, and who fulfilled the law by giving his life and by raising from the dead to offer us salvation. So let's have grateful hearts now. Pray that God would, would give you a heart overflowing with gratefulness for that salvation. And this message is not just for us, so because of that, let's spend a moment praying for others. Let's pray for the lost. Let's pray first for Christians that we know who have gone astray. Maybe family members or friends who are no longer following Jesus, or those you know who have family members or friends who are not following Jesus. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them to God, that they would want to know him. Let's also pray for those we know in our community who don't know Jesus. So think of someone right now that you know who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe ask God to lay someone on your heart right now. Maybe someone in your neighborhood or at work or your family. Let's pray that God would cause in their hearts a desire to know him and that he would open the eyes of their heart. Pray that God would open your eyes to an opportunity to share with them what God has done in your life. And let's pray that God would open doors for us to share the gospel with them.
Dear Heavenly Father, we, we praise your name. Through the law, we know of the great chasm that lay between us and you as a result of our sin, and we lift thankful hearts for Jesus, your Son, who brought us out of darkness into the marvelous light of salvation. We could never have saved ourselves. We could never have broken the bondage of sin on our own. But together right now, we praise you, the one who set us free. We rejoice that sin no longer has a grip on our lives. You have broken every chain. There is salvation in your name. You are our living hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.